0: We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world, and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. Let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today, we're going to talk step one when it comes to working with children with autism who are minimally speaking. What do you do on day one? This is going to be a great episode. If you work with children with autism, you don't want to miss this one. It's going to be an important one. So first, I'm going to share with you a story about when I first started out 20 years ago. You can learn from my mess. And from my mess, of course, there's going to be a message. So here I was, I'm going to give you a story of me 20 years ago, I was working with a child with autism and working with this child with autism, I had a bin of sensory toys and I had a little photo of each of the sensory toys, which I was holding out in front of the child and a picture exchange communication book, a binder, right? And I had the expectant look on my face, the wide open eyes, the wide open mouth, like, Go on and pick up that picture and hand it to me. And then you get to pick the toy out of the bin that you want. Now, of course, that's not what happened. I had the wide open expectant face. I had the bin. I had the book in front of the child. And instead, the child tapped his head two times, tapped his nose two times, clapped his hands two two times, and stomped his feet twice. Now, I know that if you're a speech-language pathologist, this story has probably happened to you as well. And that's because the child was receiving 40 hours of applied behavioral analysis therapy, a traditional type of therapy, which focuses on compliance first. So the first thing that they do is they have the child follow directions, and when the child follows directions to tap the head, to touch the nose, to clap the hands, to stomp the feet, then their highest reward is given to them, food, drink, a sensory toy. So that's why when he saw me, he's like, I know the routine. I know the goalposts. When I follow directions, when I do X, Y, and Z, I get a reward. So compliance works. So I was just like, oh, no, no, no. That's not the way to go. You don't start with compliance. You don't teach them compliance as power. You teach them communication as power. So what I'm doing is said, is I'm teaching you the picture exchange communication system in which you're going to pick up this this picture, hand it over to me, release it, and then I'm going to give you a toy, which is way better than that. No, it really is not way better because my thinking and my approach was flawed as well because what i was asking the child to do was to pick up a piece of velcro picture from a velcro board move it on over to me and then release it I call it the robot arm. If you've ever been to a supermarket, you have the robots and the arms and you picked up the stuffed animals and you're never ever gonna win a stuffed animal. You might as well just take your money and throw it in a trash can instead. It's the robot arm, it's really, really hard. Well, as hard as it is for you, the research indicates it's particularly hard for children with autism. So the robot arm, according to the research, is a really tough skill for kindergarten age children, now this is kindergarten, I'm working with preschoolers with autism. So you can imagine when you're working with preschoolers, it's even harder. It's a very complex visual motor skill that involves multiple modalities that are challenged for many children with autism. So what I was doing was I was having the child use a modality which is very challenging. It wasn't effortless way to communicate. It was a very effortful, challenging way to communicate. Now that was the first problem. The first problem with what I was doing was I was asking the child to do something that was extremely hard to do it throughout their day to get to communicate their wants and needs on a moment to moment basis. So it would be the equivalent to me having to play a musical instrument to communicate my wants and needs and thoughts throughout the day. And I'm tone deaf. I don't know how to play any instruments and music is so hard and complex for me. But that's what we're doing with these children with autism. We're asking them to do what's hardest for them as a means to communicate, which it should be effortless. And it's also very inefficient. How long does it take to pick up a symbol, to move it, and then to hand it to someone? Tick tock. People just simply do not wait that long. They're not that patient. So it's effortful and it's inefficient. So why was I doing that? That's because I was blindly adhering to an approach. And Just in the same way, my fellow ABA therapist, she was blindly adhering to approach as well. Why aren't you working on communication first instead of working on compliance first? Because that's not what the manual told me to do. Kelly, why are you having them do this incredibly difficult, challenging task of picking up a picture, moving their arm over to the right spot, and then releasing it like the supermarket arm? Because that's what the manual told me to do, because I was trained in this approach, this this PECS approach, and I'm following it to a T, and I'm being a good soldier, because this is an evidence-based approach, and this is what we're doing in our school district, so I'm going to follow all the rules. Well, both of us were in the wrong, so this child was the recipient of two well-meaning therapists who are both blindly adhering to approaches instead of critically looking at them with discerning eyes and like examining, is it really a good idea to teach the child that compliance as a first step is is how is power in this world? Or is it better to teach them to communicate as a first step? Well, the research indicates teaching communication as a first step is more powerful. Is it smart to have this child do an Incredibly difficult motor task that is especially difficult for children with autism is step one for this child. So both of us had our step ones way wrong in empowering them. Now and we were both making the exact same mistake. We were blindly adhering to a program. Now, the problem with that is there's no such thing as a perfect approach. I'm not even going to say there's no such thing as a perfect approach for a perfect child, because every approach that I've looked at, and I've looked at so many, and I've been trained in so many, has really significant flaws in it. So what I want you to do as a therapist, as whoever you are, a teacher, a tutor, a parent, is to be like a swan. My favorite quote of all is from the Bhagavad Gita, which is kind of the Bible we use in yoga (laughs) as yoga teachers. And it says, approach life like a swan, swallow the nutrients and spit out the dirt. And that's what was happening is both the private ABA therapist and myself as a speech language pathologist were not spitting out the dirt. We were just adhering to the program and following the program. I'm not going to say that applied behavioral analysis is bad. There's a lot of research to support its efficacy. I'm going to say that a lot of approaches are definitely not all good. There's a lot of dirt in there that you just say no thank you to that. I'm not going to say that the picture exchange communication system is all bad. It's an evidence-based approach. I'm going to say there's, a, there's something about the picture exchange communication system that's super good. And what's super good is at level four of the picture exchange communication system, you have the sentence strip. The sentence strip is very, very powerful. And there's a few reasons why. There's three I want to tell you about. The sentence strip is when you hold up a sentence strip in front of the child and the child points to the words as you say them. Something very powerful happens here. Number one, many children with autism learn to talk or learn language through reading the words instead of hearing them through visually processing the words and that's because the research indicates that the visual cortex is largely spared intact of any type of neurological damage. So these children are exposed to print and pointing to print and many of them learn to talk as a result through, through reading first. The second strength in this sentence strip is it snatches the print. The pictures are embedded with the print. And we know from the research that's a really powerful way for children to improve their reading skills is by putting the picture right there with the print. The third very, very strong Aspect of the peck sentence strip that's very important to use is that you're tapping the words as they're spoken. And because of entrainment, the connection between the fingers and the mouth. So, for instance, when a child is cutting, they open and close their mouth. Sometimes when they're drawing, you'll see their tongue go along with their fingers. That connection between what we do with our fingers and what we do with their oral mechanism is very strong, which is why temporal cueing is a very strong type of cue to use when you're using gestures and fingers to tell children what to do with their mouth. Much more powerful than pictures, and that's why you don't have the entrainment with the pictures, okay? So you have the entrainment because they're pointing to syllables. That's what speech pathologists like to do instead of words as they're spoken, and as a result, what you're going to see is many children are going to say the vowels first. And of course, children all around the world start saying vowels before anything else, but particularly children with autism. And that's because vowels are long sounds. And if the, the sounds are louder, the children are more apt to auditorily process them. So you can't say sounds in words that you can't hear. So when you're looking at children with the sentence strip, the first thing they'll do is they'll say, for instance, I want balls. They'll say, I, ah, ah. So they'll say the vowels first. That's what they hear. This is what they're reading. So it's very powerful for those reasons, those three reasons. One, print. Two, pictures. Pictures paired with print and also the auditory, of course. Three, you have the entrainment. The fingers are moving with the words which stimulate the oral mechanism to, to produce speech. So that's why the sentence strip is very powerful. So, oh, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater, is that the old saying? There's no reason to do that. Now, what is the message behind all of this? The message behind all of this is that every single approach that you look at, there is a jewel in there. I mean, there is a reason I've been trained in over 50 approaches with autism spectrum disorder. And I think that I use at least one aspect from all of those approaches that I combine into the therapy that I use. And that's because autism is a multifaceted impairment. It requires a multifaceted approach from many different angles. Now, what I want to share with you is the five tips from my book. So what this, this little excerpt I, I shared today is lesson four for my book that's coming out next month. And the book is 32 Life Lessons That Create Change for Children with Autism. So this lesson four in my book, like every single lesson in the book, has leaves you with high five, leaves you with five tips to put into practice today that are really gonna make a difference. So, in this lesson four, the five tips I leave you with on augmentative communication are as follows. Tip one find a mode of communicating that is effortless for the child and that the child can perform in an efficient manner. I am really impartial if the child can use any of their fingers or their thumb at all or their palm, that's great because we're into this digitized age now. We're at the store, at the gas station, everywhere you're going, you're starting to see touch pads where we can kind of take care of everything through our fingers and let our fingers do the walking like the old Yellow Pages ads. So it I find, for instance, I'm using a lot of broad-based devices right from day one with my kiddos now. Those really nice like lamp for life, I call them the Rolls-Royce of augmentative communication devices. And a lot of my children, they are using their pinky or they're using their thumb to manipulate the device. That's fine. That's going to work in the real world. That's their most efficient way of using their body at this time. I'm totally great with that. But I really do like that they're using their fingers because that's a really efficient form of communication. Number two, I want you to keep the symbols in the same place. So in order to do that, you're going to have to have a larger array of symbols. So what are we going to do then? We're not going to move the symbols around. We might have to hide some of those symbols so that we have accurate motor plans and motor programs established. So for instance, you might start off with 84 symbols on a board, but perhaps you're only showing on the board 24 of those symbols to start those symbols are never ever going to move if you move those symbols you're going to discombobulate the child you're going to turn their world upside down so an example of that is the mac or pc if you're a mac user you're like the control panels on the top left if you're a pc user it's the same but the control panels on the bottom left and it totally messes everyone up. Like, oh, it's a PC, I don't know what to do. Yeah, don't move the symbols around. It's a big deal to move the symbols around. So how are you gonna do that? Start with a larger array of symbols and hide symbols and gradually add the symbols in and show more symbols, keeping an 80% accuracy level if possible. Because practice makes perfect, and practice also makes imperfect. And you want to be able to keep your hands off of the child, but you want the child to be accurate through environmental arrangement, which is through hiding some of the symbols and showing them later. Or maybe perhaps you have symbols hidden when you're building the vocabulary, and then you, after they learn these new words, you show all of the symbols so that they can also generalize it in a full, for instance, 108 symbol board. So think about that. But what you want to keep in mind is we're going to keep the symbols in the same place. Think about the Mac and PC. You make one small change and it totally is disconcerting to people. The tip here is number four, which is always, 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 always pair it with print. So print is extremely powerful. Many of our children are early readers. Many of our children learn to speak and learn to communicate through literacy. Also, every year, people would rather text than talk on a phone. So you're seeing more and more of text being the primary mode of communicating. So all the time, have the print there with the picture and pair it with a visual. Number five. Now, this is the area that I'm getting my doctorate in. I shared my news that I was accepted into University of Florida's early childhood special education doctoral program, and it's highly elite. They only accept 14 doctoral candidates a year, and that's because it has the world-renowned leaders in not only early childhood specifically, but in parent coaching, parent partnerships, and parent education. And if you want to know what I'm heading toward next, what's coming our way, is we can teach these parents through digital means. So as I write in the Speech Sound Disorders book, I write about how to do that through video clips to build that bridge of what's happening to and from school. My next project is to do a series of asynchronous learning in which the parents can look at five-minute clips of how to use the devices at home, how to embed them into the routine at any time. So maybe they can see it at 9 o'clock at night because we know that over 90% of the families in America are dual-income so time is the most precious commodity. The question is, how can we empower these parents in a convenient and time-efficient manner? So I gave you a little glimpse into my future and where I'm headed. I'm really excited about it. I just thought you might want to know where are we headed on this carpet ride, Kelly? Because <laughs> you know that if you're working with preschoolers with special needs, especially children with autism, you really need to be a jack-of-all-trades. You really need to have expertise in every area because it's a multifaceted impairment and so is communication impairments in which it impacts every area of the child's life. So I'm so excited to get an educational doctorate in early childhood development so that I can even hone in more on how we can create greater change. Of course, I'm going to share with you all the good stuff. Well, I want you to make sure to get my book next month. That's coming out in April. I'm so excited. I've been working on this for 20 years. And it's interesting because it wasn't ready last year. Like last year I wrote it and it was written on year 19. And it just didn't have that flavor. I needed to use the principles in practice. I needed to feel it. I needed to go back to the drawing board and relook at what I've written. It's like a sauce. It needs to simmer over time and it wasn't ready at your 18, and I thought it was ready at your 19, and I'm like, no, there's a little bit more I want to do with this, and you're 20, it's ready, and I'm so excited to share it with you. It did take 20 years to write this, so I want you to take all of this information and roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place one child at a time. You are always going to be first.